Are you a HubSpot user looking to stay up to date with HubSpot, inbound, and all the information that will make your job easier and help you and your company grow better? Each week, the Spot brings you the HubSpot education, ideas, and tools that you need to maximize your success, make work just a little bit easier, and of course, brighten your day along the way. Listen in as Julie, Doug, Max, and George share their authentic, entertaining, and valuable conversations with the people who really matter. That's right, you. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for your HubSpot journey heroes. Welcome to this week's episode of The Spot. Ready, spot, go, and we're back with another episode, episode 10 of The Spot podcast or spot show or i don't know it's we're just the spot guys how has your week been doug and julie i think this week's been a great five weeks yes i was going to say something similar it seems everyone has awoken from the the summer slumber and we're kind of full force pushing things ahead and it's been a lot of moving pieces yeah it it is the most monthly week ever i will agree with you guys and and here's the thing what's nice is we're gonna have a fun little conversation we're gonna t- hopefully get around to uh, reporting and analyzing but we also have an article but before we get into that we have to say we have to say let ev- all the listeners know congrats to our boy max audrey juliet cohen was born 927 2020 at 6 23 p.m and eight pounds eight pound baby girl so Congratulations. Doug, where's your applause, bro? I was waiting for you to have applause ready for that. Come on now. But anyway, congratulations to Max. We're super excited and we can't wait till you get back to the show, but we know that you're doing your fatherly duties. With that said, let's go ahead and get I'd get a weekend he would want to be on the show. Mm. Yeah, you know, give me a break or something. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Sorry. No, that would be kind of a dad thing to do sometimes. Like, so here's the thing. I will share a little story, Doug, now that you opened uh, that before we get into uh, that hit the spot. I think it was our third child. My wife was still in the hospital. It was maybe a couple hours, maybe four hours after the, maybe six hours. We'll say six because then it doesn't sound so bad. After the birth of, it was Noah, that myself, my wife's brother, and my wife's father went golfing after she had given birth that day. So I've heard that through the years that I did that. So yeah, there's that. Well, on my first Father's Day, my wife asked me what I wanted. And I asked it. All I asked for was permission to be able to go golfing next Mother's Day. That did not go. Over How'd that go for you? No, no bro. bro yeah, that's no. not even a, that's no. Okay. Well, before we train wreck our relationships and they listen to the podcast, let's go ahead and get into mm, that hit the spot. So, Julie, you brought us an article this week. Go ahead and explain kind of what you were thinking when you dumped into our lap the science anthropology, I tell you, the science of storytelling and memory and the impact on CRO. Give us the lowdown here. Yeah. So I actually had this article up when I got the note from you, George, that I was choosing our article for today's podcast. And I said, oh, what timing. I put it on the list before I even finished reading it. So that's always a fun, fun risk to run here. But I was pretty hooked right at the beginning. In the second paragraph, we talk about an experiment run and it's just 
described as an, a literary and anthropological experiment. So I said, oh, great, we all need to read this. This is the recurring theme of our lives. But it's all about that experiment in particular was about does attaching a story to an item increase its perceived value and actual value in the sales process. So these two researchers spent $129 and they had a whole bunch of writers write emotional stories about these items. And then they attempted to resell them. And in the process, they increased their $129 to um, about $8,000, all because they put stories on some of these items, which were weird thrift store finds all purchased for about 99 cents. So it was a cool opening that led into a lot of information about memory, storytelling, how stories work in our brains, and then some business applications of those stories, which is always exciting. This story is from CXL.com, which is Conversion XL, and they do a lot of content like this around conversion optimization, which is a conversion rate optimization is CRO. So it's this idea of, can you make changes to your own web presence to influence the behavior of your buyers and improve conversions, which is something I like to think about and do um, and approach. So they have a business use case here, which is a campaign starts with a storytelling campaign a little bit from Men's Warehouse and then goes into a bit of a dissection of the on-site experience if you were to continue clicking through and going on this journey with Men's Warehouse and some good things and maybe some improvements that they could make. There's a little bit of a competitive comparison there, which I always like to see. And a lot of what is described in this pro this post is the approach that CXL encourages marketers and optimizers to take in creating basically conversion paths. But what I really loved was one line in, I don't know, the late conclusion, late ending of this post after the case study, after everything else. And it's, if you look at consumer behavior as a story, you realize for them, it's all about experience. And we've talked about experience a lot on the podcast, but thinking about consumer behavior as a story was something I really liked. It reminded me of when I was doing a lot more persona research with clients and we would have great debates as to whether it's better to write your persona work as a story or as bullet points so clients can understand what those bullets are faster. And I was always partial to the story and I had never really thought about why other than I tend to write things better in story and I tend to forget things when I try to write bullet points. I just like prose. And I thought that was just my background. And I guess there's some, some science here that says maybe not. So just thought it was a good read. It's a little bit of a, a heftier lift. I'm sorry for giving everyone so much content to consume, but lots of juicy bits in there, I think. What was the aspect from that, that on the science, you said that you used to think X, but now on the science, maybe not. What was that? What was that observation? No, I think I just didn't really think about it from like, I thought I just felt like stories were better, but th there was no actual background for it. And it was just gotcha. like debating opinions, gotcha. but thinking about story as more memorable and more accessible mm -hmm. than just facts makes sense. I'm not a good fact rememberer. Yeah. And the older you get, the harder that is. I'm just going to throw that out there. But I, I love this because the first part, I want to back the train up a little bit where you were talking about the, the experiment of the items. I want everybody listening to realize, A, there's a TED Talk where a gentleman uses this, this story and he shows some of the things. These are pieces of crap, people. These are 99 cent pieces of crap that when they put them on eBay and they put a story around it that ended up going from like 99 cent pieces to like 100, 120, 180, $200 pieces that like people are like, oh, this is amazing. And when you look at the article, you'll see this piece of crap, like horse head that's chipped 
that costs like nothing. I think the horse head is great. Oh I think gosh. that's a statement piece above the mantle. I'm going to try to find the TED Talk. I'll link it up in the show notes. This article will be linked up in the show notes. I did. I loved this. And it's it's early in the thing. But it had me. This whole article had me at this quote. The universe is made of stories, not of atoms. And from somebody who loves to create content, somebody who I, I love story. Like I, my wife will tell you, she's like, why does it always have to be a production? Like, why Why can't you just tell somebody, like, the thing? You got to turn it into a story. The story always gets bigger. I'm like, baby, that's just how I'm made. Like, I love story. And it's just a world of difference. Like, you, you said in your part there of, like, bullet points versus, like, actually reading something. You know, there's there's books for a reason. There are, there are multi-billion dollar movies for a reason. There are... We, we spend X amount of time on Netflix or Amazon video for a reason. And sure, there it's nice to have these facts in there, but if if they're not wrapped up in this nice package, it's super hard to just like stay involved for a very long amount of time. I I like this, the fact that you're talking about conversion rate optimization in the article, because I'm curious when we get down deeper, and Doug, I'm about to release you to the world, by the way. When we get down deeper into if we can get into analyzing and reporting what you would say like from this article or thinking of this article and a analyzing or reporting on CRO if there's like some dots that you were connecting or anything like that but Doug what were your thoughts on this article this week first off I love the article it's the it's my favorite article that's been shared in in all of our articles Julie you really laid down you dropped the gloves there on this you raised the bar for for the articles that we're going to bring out so I'm gonna have to go into my my, my, my deep archive of articles for the, for the next time. I, I can't wait to get into the deep archive. I, I will say that anyone that ever watched Seinfeld already knew that the first part of it was true. The whole Jay Peterman catalog was based on the the, the, the silliness of storytelling. I, I'll tell you, I love the first part of the article. I really like the last part of the article. I hated the middle part of the article, which was actually what the point of it was for, for a couple of different reasons. One is, okay, you're talking about men's warehouse. It uses men's warehouse as an example, which is a high transaction, high utility sale. It's built on the idea, you know, no, no one goes to men's warehouse because they go, you know what? Hold, I want to, you know, men's warehouse is, is, is very utility driven. So if you're going to, now men's warehouse is a good job of, 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 of having a story element. I, I think that the conversion rate optimization optimization of storytelling, the way that they did that really transactionalized it. And, and this idea that that the story goes here and then does the story continue? I felt like that was a little bit of a, hey, we've got a great theory. Let's, let's you know, let, let's apply it to this. So think, you got a comment on that? Yeah. So one of the things that I love the CXL content, I think it's great. I think their courses are amazing. They have a heavy bias towards e-commerce in their audience and in their CRO content. One of the things I always have to look at is like, well, does this apply to other types of things? But I saw this example and I wrote in my notes, like, Mm, like, is this a stretch for e-com to attach it to a story? Are they using e-com because that's who their audience is and will want? I did like the competitive comparison though. I liked that they included that because I think people forget sometimes to think about what their competitors are doing for a similar audience. I'm on record as saying that I think that the biggest growth area in sales and marketing over the next five years is going to be the, you know, every every great sales and marketing team is going to have a behavioral science group. It shocks that behavioral science is missing from virtually all of sales and marketing. You know, I think the, the science of what was shared in here was great. 
I think that you need to, you know, I think it comes down to what Julie said. I know that stories work is not the same thing as knowing why stories work. Right. And, and, and so, you know, understanding the why, understanding that, you know what, we have a brain, we have a chemistry, there's, there's a component that goes in. Now, I, I don't love the statement, the world is made of stories, not of atoms. It actually is made of atoms. Just so I get, I get the point. But, but the, other, the other aspect of it is, is what we don't, and this is going to sound really geeky, but we are electrical machines. We are adaptive, complex, electrical driven machines, actually the wrong term. I don't, I don't know what the right term is. And so what happens as different aspects aspects of the brain begin to get fired, different electrical responses happen. So it's actually, you know, what I would say is stories trigger atoms, stories trigger electrodes and understanding that stories frame. And, and so the reason that it, like the reason that I didn't like the example was it began to, to say that thing, wait, does this apply to what I'm doing? Stories frame everything. Like everybody lives a story. That's like, you have to understand that we are all living our story. And if you want somebody to change their decision-making components, change their story. Right. So that that whole story is a big piece. The, the thing that I do want to be careful about, we make stories so big sometimes. And I could see a lot of people reading this and, and looking at, you know, production value and, and, you know, stories don't have to be big. Stories are, I'll tell you, the, you want to hear the greatest story I think that was ever told that changed the future of the world. We will pay, we will put a man on the moon and return him safely by the end of the decade. That was an amazingly powerful story. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. It has a hero, it has an enemy, it has contrast, it has an objective. It's clearly understood, it's aligning, right? And that was a story, by the way, I had a chance to talk to one of the NASA engineers responsible for the space program. And he said that the story was actually really important because the element that we spent about 80% of our time on was return him safely. We, we figured out how to get him to the moon. It took us about two to three years to figure out how to get him to the moon. And he's, you know, he's short, you know, it took us about seven years to figure out how to get him back safe. Right. And, and so those elements become rallying cries and they create, we all live a context and story creates context. I, again, so I thought it was, a, it was a brilliant piece. I think it connects an awful lot of dots. I love the research that's in it. I thought, I thought the end, you know, it's funny because you said, I apologize for dropping such deep content on you. And I know you're kidding, but I also go like that. I mean, if you want to know what has me at my, at my highest level of frustration right now is we all agree that we're, you know, we're competing in difficult times. And by and large, I think most people that are out there running businesses, running departments, we're really smart, right? So if this, if there was some easy answer sitting there, some, some nugget of a take that, that doesn't make you think like we would have figured that out by now that this, like anyone who doesn't read this article, this is my seal of approval. Anyone who doesn't read this article, article isn't serious about growth mm, dang dang now i do want to pinpoint yeah that that's like that's a gauntlet right there that might be a clip that we have to pull out and just put on the interwebs to get people to go over to this episode and now i just want to pinpoint just so i know the viewers the listeners both of you said i don't like the middle i like the ending would you say the ending starts at the point where it's like how the human brain decides what is important that's kind of like the ending piece and where they're talking about attention encoding storage retrieval like yeah that on yeah. Yeah. is ending point yeah because yeah. it's mind-bending like there are charts and graphs in here people that if you're not stopping and i agree with you doug like stopping to think and julie and i on a previous meeting nothing to do with this show i was talking about how there's this thing that brian halligan tweeted out the the you know the the top guy ceo of spotify was like about taking
taking time to actually think and how a lot of people aren't taking time to think and kind of leans into what you were saying. But like there's this graph in here where it's like sensory and short term and long term and explicit and implicit and like, like there's just so much in there that you can get like super nitty gritty. You have to check this out. Definitely the bottom part where they start talking about these different stages and examples. The other thing I love about this is there's a good amount of videos and I love videos like so it gave me time to like read and then watch a little bit and think and then read and watch a little bit so definitely definitely check it out any so, yeah go ahead Doug this reminds so I read a book a few years ago called Thinking in Bets which is an amazing amazing book and it was one of those books that I think I read probably about 20 to 30 books as a result of Thinking in Bets because every time that that Annie Dukes referred to the study or the book where this came from it's like huh that's interesting you know so that led me to thinking fast and slow by Danny Kahneman it led me to super forecasting you know this is one of those articles it's got a lot of you know not only is there great value in here there's great link there there are great links in here that take you to other Kate you know to other places to understand where those things fit this is again a really really high quality piece thank you Julie I was glad I read it yeah well you're welcome I got a little nervous when it said anthropology at first but Mm. part of my objective in choosing our article was I want to pick something that Doug doesn't have to go and bring other research into nice nice love it you did I I think this hits out the park I think it totally hits out the park I think Max is calling Max no Uh no it's not it's not Max totally hits out (laughs) the park without a doubt so so let's continue on the conversation but let's tweak it a little bit and uh, let's move into in the spotlight where one of the things that I wanted to talk about was like kind of analyzing or reporting but but let's take it this way like when you think of conversion rate optimization and you think of maybe tools that we may be able to use or a mentality that we should have or or things that we should be looking at. What comes to mind from a reporting standpoint or analyzing standpoint with this whole kind of conversation that we're having? Julie or Doug, whoever wants to go first. So for me, the big picture with conversion rate optimization or CRO is optimizing the right thing. So for example, if a lot of people think about conversion rate optimization on in terms of the actual kind of end goal conversion, making a purchase, completing the form, clicking the CTA, but it can also happen elsewhere in your marketing. So one of the things that we sometimes have to look at is, hey, you're maybe ranking quite well in organic search for this term, maybe you're ranked third. But when we look at Google Search Console, your click-through rate for that term is very low. And we actually looked at the meta description that you have on the site page that's ranking, and it says, add this description later or something like that. And our hypothesis is that you'll actually see more traffic to that page if we improve that meta description that shows on the search engine results page and then by getting more traffic as long as what we're seeing on site continues and stays steady we don't actually have to improve anything on site you will get more of whatever the objective is so a lot of times i give that context as an example to explain that a lot of times we optimize for the form submission for the purchase for the add to cart but we forget that you could have the world's most amazing high converting website page. And if people don't go there, it doesn't matter. So it's, it's, you have to optimize for the right piece of where you are right now. And the other thing I think about is that optimization is not global, right? Optimization isn't best practices. Optimization isn't, oh, the, you know, the form placement on the right side of the page worked really well here. 
So it should be there everywhere on every page ever, right? It's, it's asking a lot of questions, a lot of why questions, and then running a lot of tests and hypotheses to see if things work, but you need to have the rest of the pieces to support it. Yeah, I love that. And by the way, Doug, I want you to go, but Julie, the fact that you brought up meta descriptions, like, please, by all that is holy, if you did if that you're for a, you, George, oh my God, if you're a marketer and you have not <laughs> been paying attention to your meta descriptions, like, please go look at them because like, here's the thing. It, it's funny because most people will just kind of like throw them out super quick. They're like, they're, they're big piles of doo-doo because they don't realize like you spend all this time writing this blog article or you spend spend all this time creating this page or you spend all this time and then you're like oh yeah 30 seconds for my meta description and you're not you're not paying attention to the power that that thing has and you know I'm I'm a big believer in that like if, if I'll give you an example like when I'm at the grocery store and, and I'm, I'm being vulnerable here I'm being vulnerable I'll be standing at the grocery store and before I know it I pick up the National Enquirer and I'm on page 17 why is that it's because the title right the way that they what they did on the cover enticed me to pick it up and read through. I know it's crap. Are you are you using your meta descriptions to entice people to actually come to those pages, like Julie said, right? And so one of the things I love to teach folks when we're teaching about meta descriptions is start with a question and end with a tease. Because what that does to your mind is like you if you end with a tease, like if you if you write it in a way where you're like, ah, I don't know, like you're forcing mentally the click. And so I'll start with a question and with a tease. It's always invoking some type of emotional response and it always has the keyword phrase I'm trying to target in those meta descriptions. Anyway, this isn't a class on meta descriptions. Doug, what are, what are your thoughts when you think of analyzing, reporting, hey, tools, mentality around I'm, CRO? I'm the sales guy here. I, all, all this meta, this description, that you're going to start talking about before I know it, we're going to be talking about alt tags and I'm going to be. Oh yeah, let's do know, it. Uh, I'll, juicy that could be a whole a whole thing so i i'm not a fan of conversion rate optimization because i think and, and i'm talking about how it gets applied i think it, you know i think it's one i think it's a wonderful theory i think amazon probably does an extraordinarily good job i think the first thing when we say conversion rate optimization it shouldn't be this but it, it immediately goes online and everything you guys just talked about was all about online and it was all about measurements online and I'm not saying that that doesn't matter, but I'm saying that's a piece of something. And it's and it's a very variable piece to other people. So my, my fundamental concern is, and, and this will connect to reporting, is I don't, I think that conversion rate optimization, and I would say reading this article, it, it would apply that it's not really about conversion rate optimization. It's conversion rate efficiency, which connects to, to your point, which is it's about higher conversion rate means it's optimized. But what if lower conversion rate was actually the more optimal, right? It doesn't, Nine out of 10 people. Well, George, if you look at what, what Julie said, if we in, if we improve the meta description, and look, I'm no expert on meta description, so I could be wrong here. But if we improve the meta description, we're going to drive more traffic to the page. It's going to show up better. People are going to be enticed by it. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll bet you that your conversion rate will now go down because you'll entice people that maybe that's not exactly what I wanted, or maybe that's what I wanted and I don't want something else. Your throughput will go up. Right, you'll get you'll generate more conversions if your goal is to get an action on that page. The 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 best way to increase a rate 
is to lower the denominator. Like So closing rate optimization, just ask fewer people to buy. Just wait until there's a pen in their hand and they're writing a check before you ask and your closing rate will go up. As a matter of fact, one of the things I know about a sales team that's not producing and it's over capacity is their closing rate is too high, right? So, you know, optimization is, optimization is about finding that optimal place given the complex dynamic and adaptive system that we operate in. It includes looking at things like opportunity costs and 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 situations. And I'm sure that you're right, George, and I'm just going to use the, the meta description example. Like I get it. I can't, I can't argue with the fact of that, but I also would understand why, like I know I mean, I've got a client that doesn't spend a lot of time on conversion rate optimization and their website is legitimately not about lead generation. It's not about finding new people. It's about supporting what's going on with them because they work in a very defined market. They're advisors in a very defined market. It's a highly relational driven piece. And it's the place where, I mean, for lack of a better word, it, it, you know, it's, it's their community. There's not a lot of, like, I'm not saying that, that adding new people coming in wouldn't have helped. But given that you're resource constrained, the time that it would take, the time and allocation of resources to do X would take away from Y, which is which is more important. And 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 so you know th- those are the places where I again I love the idea of conversion rate optimization. But what happens with that, and what happens with too much of our reporting, is what we do is we take a we take something out, we create a model which is like a map. We have to remember that the map is not the territory. So the model is never real. Then we identify key components, key metrics to give us a signal. And it's Goodhart's law that says taking a good measure and turning it into objective destroys the measure, right? And and so we begin to pull it out and we begin to optimize for that, thinking that the conversion rate of the page is the same thing as people moving through our buying journey, right? Mm. As opposed to it is a surrogate for that. And so I think that reporting and metrics tend to do certainly anything that is leading. Trailing indicators, metrics answer questions. How much money did we make last year? Got to look at a metric for that, right? But I think the problem when we when we start going to leading indicators is that we look for data and metrics to give us answers. And I think data and metrics do a horrible job giving answers. I think they can do a great job stimulating questions. I think they can do a great job seeding hypotheses, right? But what we have to understand, if we're going to apply data, right? If we're going to apply this thing called conversion rate optimization, we also have to understand its balancing component around constraints and bottlenecks because what we're looking for is maximizing throughput, right? That's what the objective is. How much value creative units, so unified for service product, et cetera, with all the stuff I have, how can I maximize the the revenue that gets created from that? And, and I'll and I'll I'll stop in a second, but I'll give you a, a story that I'm intimately familiar with because my brother's responsible for it, right? For years and years and years, it was thought if you had a hotel or you had a, an apartment that you wanted to maximize occupancy. 100% occupancy was everybody's goal. Except if you have 100% occupancy, it means you are losing money. As a matter of fact, once you get up above about 95 to 97% occupancy, you are losing money. How can that be? Well, the reason is if I have 100% occupancy, that means I've got a rate for whatever that room or unit is that everyone said yes to, right? If I don't have a certain number of people saying no, so my, my brother created pricing and revenue management in multifamily. When a, when a closing rate goes up, if they start seeing the closing rate go up, the pricing system will drive the price higher to lower the closing rate, right? If a certain number of people aren't saying no, because the key to, to, to multifamily is I've got this building 
they can produce a certain number, certain amount of revenue in a day. And whatever revenue it doesn't produce that day, it'll never have again, right? So how do I maximize the revenue for that day? Well, the reality is having about a 3% open rate demonstrates that you've gotten to the price level that units times rent is maximized rather than just occupancy. Occupancy is a measurement of efficiency. Throughput is a measurement of how much revenue did this space generate today. And, and you've got to make sure when you're looking at reporting that you're balancing those two things. Out. I have I a couple sure. favorite CRO tests that you may like, Doug. I don't know. But they're favorites of mine that I've been a part of or performed because they're not about increasing leads or rates. One of them was, they're both senior living examples. So I have some decent experience in the senior living space for some like high consideration purchases in senior living, kind of high, high dollar senior living stuff. And in one case, we had kind of a, a contact page where we were sending PPC traffic and the headline on our form was like, speak to us about something, right? It was a very direct kind of best practice form title. Here's the actions you take, please take this action. We had a decent conversion rate on the page, a decent submission rate on that form, but we found that we weren't really driving a lot of SQLs, right? The PPC traffic was going there, it was submitting, it was great. And then they were all dying in the sales process. So we made a big change. The big change that we made was we started sending that PPC traffic to that individual, it was multi-location. So that individual community's homepage and every community had like 18 pages that someone could explore. And our lead volume heads say, no, we want to send them right to the conversion page and maximize conversions. But what we found was that we, when we sent someone to the homepage, got them reading more content, having a higher kind of pages per session type of metric, and then finally getting to a contact page, the leads we got had a higher likelihood of becoming sales qualified because we were getting the right people. Because there are a lot of people searching for senior living and not all of them are looking for this type of community. A lot of them might be looking for a month, monthly rental or being or using senior living to mean 55 and over and things like that. So we actually weeded out a lot of volume. We lost volume, but we increased the sales team's ability to serve the leads they were getting and the value of the leads we were getting. The other one was a situation where, and this is more specifically about the form title. We again went to that contact page and we took that form title and now people were getting there organically or through paid, through navigating the site. And instead of saying, contact us to blah, 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 we said, we're here to help. And the reason we made the change was it felt more aligned with the brand. And our metric for that test wasn't improving conversions at all. It was actually not losing conversions. So we said, we want to make this change. And if this doesn't take away from conversions, because it's defined the best practice, that's going to be a marker of success for us. And in fact, it did not take away from conversions. We maintained where we were on a submission rate standpoint from that page. And we said, okay, this is great. We feel good about it from a brand standpoint. Our leads still know what to do. We don't have to have this like really literal kind of silly feeling form title that says people like complete the form on the right to blah, 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 and do, do, do. And it, it was fantastic all around. So sometimes the win is not winning. It's things not changing. So I like to think about not just the actual numbers, but also the behavior piece of it, the the why are people not doing what we think they should or why are people doing what we think they should and where are they coming from and where are they going next and what are the questions they're asking as part of this whole thing three key thoughts on on that so so first off yeah that that absolutely on point i also know from knowing you that that when you're running those experiments it, you you need to be run if you're not running multiple experiments around 
you know, different aspects of that than, you know, so there's an important piece there. Now, I liked what you did on the first one. And what I would say the way to improve your second task is you looked at the issue around solving for a conversation, you know, a, a bona fide conversation. By the way, one problem with conversion rate optimization is what's your timeline for conversion? More on that in a second. So if you had said, we don't lose any, I would have looked at go, how do we help to say, what is the impact on leads that get to serious conversation? Because my bet is aligning with the journey of, of, of a senior living buying journey, which I actually happen to know really well, weeding out the wrong people goes a whole long way. And so you may have actually lowered the conversion rate by increasing the quality conversion. Like you would have lost, the question to me would have been, do we lose any quality conversion, not just conversion? Which, which gets to my last point about senior living. There is a three-year education familiarization, comfortableization period, because it's an exceedingly emotional issue where people don't. So so the senior living journey is actually started by typically a, a child of the parent that's going to go into senior living. And, and they're almost ashamed in doing it. So they don't want to identify themselves. So if I were, and I'm actually speaking at Smash next week. Love um, Smash. If, if I were to, I'll explain, bring this up. If I were running an experiment, <laughs> if I were running PPC, my, my first PPC campaign would pay zero attention to quote unquote conversion because my entire goal with that would be retargeting, right? I want to be on your radar. I want to be there because you're going to come. That journey is going to be, think about it, fall back. Mom fell down. Oh, got to look at this. Mom got into a car accident. Then it goes back to zero. And so as that journey ebbs and flows up, I want to be on the radar. And that, ra- and that radar, by the way, is not email because that email is going to be a little bit more directional. Hey, I'm not ready for this. I still don't even want to admit I'm looking at it. It's almost like, wait, if you see me looking at it on my computer screen, I'm going to change browsers real quickly. And so that retargeting value, like that PPC value, it has its biggest impact probably three years later, right? I, you should be able to trace it back, right? But, but when people look at conversion rate optimization, right? So, so it's about, so those tests are awesome in sub-segments. We have a hypothesis of a three-year journey. We're going to test, we're trying to test what can we do between here and here. That's looking at that full model. And I think that's that's what we need to get from our reporting. And too often our reporting is falling into efficiency over all else. And it's killing, it's killing, it's actually killing capitalism. That could be a story for another day, but it, it actually is. Efficiency, <laughs> the pursuit of efficiency is now killing capitalism. Yeah. And, and Doug, I think since you know the senior living space, I'll give you this detail. In this case, the client was actually a CCRC, a continuing care retirement community. So from the time of contact, the expectation was that the sales process was 18 months. So that's the yeah. sales process, not yeah. even the researching process. Some of the monthly communities move a little bit faster yeah. from time of contact, yeah. but ooh, that one was a doozy. But I love the senior living space. I'm but, happy to hear you're speaking at Smash. I have a friend who's speaking there as well. But you know, we're we're we're, we're killing our buyer journeys because we're we're using all this reporting to optimize. And the way you optimize, like I said, reduce the denominator, it pushes you further and further and further to the end. Right. And so, and so we're more and more sales and marketers, we're only competing in about 10% of the journey. So a couple of takeaways. One, you guys just told some great stories. Two, if we only had one listener, I would continue to do this podcast so that I could sit at the feet of Julie and Doug and listen and <laughs> learn about all these things. Doug, you love to change words, by the way. I've learned this about you over the last couple episodes. Today, it was not conversion rate optimization. It was conversion rate efficiency. 
Jesse, you did the same thing last week on the episode, but I'm not going to tell the viewers and listeners what you did. They have to go listen to that or watch that episode because you're like, no, it's not this word. It's actually this word that we should focus on. That's interesting. I don't know if you've uh, realized that about yourself, but I am like, oh, okay. Like he, he likes to tweak like the thought on these things. And, and here's the thing. The other thing that I will say is that when we get into a conversation, it is amazing to me how, and this one was the same way, how you're right, Doug. We have a marketing conversation and our mind goes directly into these things of marketing and digital and because that's where we've been for the last since 2012 or 2010 or however long. And it is refreshing to have a, a space where we can then be pulled out of our marketing mire, if you will, and get a glance at sales and how sales would look at it and the things that sales would say. So with that said, believe it or not, we have hit over our time frame. So if you have questions for Doug, if you have statements for Julie or statements for Doug and questions for Julie, it could go either way, people. Make sure you're hitting us up on the Twitter. She's at Real Julie D. He's at Duff. I'm just little old me at George B. Thomas. I will say this. Anybody who's listening to this episode, I do want you to tweet at Max Jacob Cohen. Say congratulations for the new Bambino. And while you're doing that, folks, we'll be waiting here for you in the next episode.